Well, good morning, church family. Welcome to the new year. Yes. So I am joining you this morning as Craig and his family are getting some much-needed time and rest uh, away um, and hopefully can come back restored and, and ready to bring a new, new message of hope for us all. This morning I'm coming to go on a journey with you uh, through the book of Micah. Um, this is a, Micah was a prophet in the Old Testament uh, during the era of the kings. So in the timeline of Old Testament history, some point after King Solomon, but before Israel was uh, destroyed and sent into exile by Babylon. Um, now the theme of this book uh, records God's message to his people Israel, because uh, once again they had struggled with following in their own ways, uh, not following the word of God, deciding for themselves what they should do and how they should live, and not understanding the consequences that those decisions had not only on their life, but the life of their community around them. Now, in the book of Micah, the, he gives three rounds of uh, uh, three rounds of addressing the Israelites' uh, sinful nature and where they are struggling. And in three times, he follows up with how God promises to restore them and redeem them if they would acknowledge their wrongdoing. So by the time we get to chapter 6 of Micah, a question is posed. How then, given all of this sin and all of this wrongdoing, do I make this right with God? And the question comes both as an I statement, how do I as an individual make this right with God? And how do we as a collective God's people make this right with God? And Micah gives them, and gives them a reminder of a directive God gave to Moses back when God gave the commandments. And in picking up in Micah chapter 6, verse 6, the answer to the question, what then Shall I come before the Lord and bow myself down before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Shall the fruit of my body be given up for the sins of my soul? He gives them this answer. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? The people wonder, what, what offering, what sacrifice must I give up to redeem myself before the Lord? And Micah answers this not with an action of sacrifice, but he does a callback to Deuteronomy in chapter 10 where we see this account of Moses receiving the commandments from God on Mount Sinai, and God summarizes all of the law up into these three points for Moses to give to the people. So this morning, we're going to spend some time looking into what are these three things, these three points that summarize the law of God for us in our lives. So what is required of us? What does God require of us? The first point is to do justice. We are called to action that brings forward equitable and restorative justice. 
we're going to break this down a little bit, justice is this idea and understanding that we know what is right and what is wrong, and how do we bring things into a rightness by sense of the law. What is unique about this word in in Micah's phrase, do justice, is the Hebrew word is mishpat, which carries with it this idea that the justice is equitable and restorative by nature. So what does that mean? That those are big words. Well, equitable could be understood when comparing to equal. Um, equal is the idea that everyone gets the same regardless. Equitable is everyone gets what they need. So if we were to take a modern example, one that is being discussed in, in our country right now, um, the, the COVID stimulus package. How should we restore people who have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Equal would say, everyone gets the same. Regardless of who you are, where you're from, everyone gets the same amount of money, whether that's $600 or the 2000 whatever our politicians are deciding at this point. Everyone gets the same. Now, equitable would consider... What is your need? How does the restoration compare if you are a multi-billionaire compared to an individual who has been out of work or has lost their business and has had no income for the last six months with a piling debt? Should those amounts be different? And is that taken into consideration? Equitable says, how do we weigh out what a person needs based on their circumstance? Equal says, everyone has the same. So in this, when we're talking about justice, how do we figure out right and wrong? The first step of this is how do we understand what a person needs in that moment? The other part of this is restorative. It is not enough to be equitable, but also that it restores the individual. That is that we are changing that person's abilities, their environment, something so that this unevenness does not happen again. So practical example, if I was going out to grab food, uh, ordering takeout uh, from a restaurant, and as I go into the restaurant and grab my food and come out, I see a person who is homeless and hungry on the side of the street. I could give my food to that person. That would be equitable. They have a greater need than I do at that point. But tomorrow they will be hungry again. So what can I do to restore this individual so that they would not have to Uh, be hungry again tomorrow. What is it that I'm going to do to restore and build them up? Am I going to help teach them new skills to find a job? Am I going to connect them with a support service to help them uh, better their life? Am I going to work on the environment and the policies that may impact their life uh, that may have caused them to be in this place in the first, first point? This mishpat, this justice, doing justice. We are finding equity and restoration for individuals. And throughout the Old and New Testament, whenever this word comes up, it is often connected with four groups of people that get talked about. Uh, We see widows. Uh, How do we restore and equitably support our widows? Our orphans or the fatherless. How do we support the poor? And the fourth one, depending on your translation, will say, how do we support the stranger, the outsider, or the immigrant? How do we bring them what they need equitably, and how do we support them restoratively so that they can move forward? 
Now, given this morning, uh, I know many of you know that I can be long-winded, so I'm going to give you a challenge to go look into this some more rather than diving into some passages. Uh, There is a lot written on how do we live out this life of justice and doing acts of justice. So if you need more scenarios, I would encourage you to read the rest of the book of Micah where it outlines here are the challenges that God sees and how do we fix that. Some other prophets, Jeremiah, Amos, and Joel, also address these topics. Here is what breaks God's heart when he sees this justice not being done. And what should we do to move forward? If you like concrete direction, go back and read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where the law outlines, if you see this scenario, here is how we should respond. If you need a starting spot, start with Deuteronomy chapter 10, where this whole passage is a callback to. If you like Proverbs and sayings and things you can put on your window and just remind you, read through the book of Proverbs. There's so much talking about how can we live a life of justice? How do we support the poor and the orphan and the widow? And if you need didactic teaching, read through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 talks about the Beatitudes and how are we supposed to support those who are without You can also look at Paul's instruction on this in Romans chapter 12, the marks of a true Christian. How should we welcome the outsider? How do we give to the poor? How do we support the widows in our lives? So doing justice, bringing about equitable and restorative correction. One story I want to pull out uh, as we go through this morning is Jesus' encounter with a woman in Samaria in John chapter 4. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with this story, Jesus is really early in the beginning of his ministry, and he is traveling traveling with his disciples, and they decide they're going to go through Samaria, a bit of a long cut for them on their journey, but they go through, and there comes a point where Jesus becomes tired, and he waits at a well and sends his disciples into town to get some food. Now, while he is waiting in the middle of the day, a woman of Samaria comes to the well to draw water. And Jesus begins to talk with her. And there's a lot of oddity about this. The woman is a little bit taken aback. One, Jews and Samaritans did not talk. Uh, Samaritans were immigrants in the nation of Israel, and they were outsiders. They were, and Jews were not supposed to uh, interact with them. He was a man and she was a woman. They were alone at a well, which was also odd. Um, it was also in the middle of the day, which is a really strange time to be out at a well at the hottest point. But needless to say... Jesus starts the conversation and gets to know her. And there comes to a point when Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. So in this passage, Jesus is doing justice He is seeing, you are thirsty, let me equitably meet your need by giving you water. But not only that, let me restore to you beyond that so you will never need again. How the water I give will not only fill you, but flow out of you in abundance. So in our lives, we are seeking to do justice. How do we bring about equity and restoration to those around us. 
The second point then is to love mercy. How can we cultivate a heart of kindness in this? Now, the Hebrew word here for mercy means to demonstrate kindness to all, and particularly those in need. And in line with doing justice, one of the things that we often struggle with in our day-to-day walks is when we talk about doing acts of justice, oftentimes we, seek in, we start to slink into judgment rather than justice. We start to wonder out, does this person deserve it or not? I have limited time, energy, and resources, so I might hold back. So again, going back to the story, I'm at the restaurant and there is a homeless and hungry person on the sidewalk there. You know, I, I could give away my food or money, but maybe in my human bias and my own instinct, my, my first thought is to question, what did this person do to deserve this? Do, do they, should I give away the food that I worked to earn? Uh, maybe they're living a poor lifestyle. Maybe they've made made choices in their life, and and they kind of deserve the situation that they're in right now. Maybe instead I don't think that route. Maybe it's putting myself first instead. Maybe I'm in in the realm of I'm running late, people are depending on me, and I ignore this person completely. In either way, I, one, am ignoring justice, and two, I am not seeking a heart of kindness in this. Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus warns about this, this thought of how do we withhold mercy from others. Uh, he teaches, do not judge so that you may not be judged, for the measure you give is the measure you receive. If we follow our human nature to question if another person deserves our love, our kindness, and our mercy, if we are to withhold that, we run the risk of running that same condemnation against ourselves. And this is not a new issue. This is not a new condition for mankind. Micah also had the same issue on his hands when he addressed the nation of Israel. Women were being excluded from events. Children were being removed from their families. They talked about friends fighting with each other so that there was no trust among close friends and family. Parents were exasperating their children. Children were hating their parents. The government and the church were oppressing the poor and the outsiders stealing from them their land and their possessions. And Micah addressed them the same way here. How can we love mercy? How can we show kindness and love to our brothers? And Micah's message is very similar to that in Paul, as he talks in Romans chapter 3. What then? Are we any better? Are we any better than our brother and sister? No, not at all. For there is not one of us righteous, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. For it is Jesus Christ who came for all who believe. And there is no distinction among us since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they have been justified by his grace as a gift. Because we have received mercy and kindness we are also to extend that same level of mercy and kindness to others. But what then? Are we to ignore other persons' behaviors? Not necessarily, because we are also encouraged to spur one another on to love and good works. We know that we are human and that we struggle. And likewise, Jesus has the same encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Coming back to John chapter 4 and verse 16, Jesus says to her, after he offers her abundant living water, 
go and call your husband and come back. And the woman answers, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five. And the one you are now living with is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. I see, sir, that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say this place that where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will proclaim all these things to us. And Jesus says to her, I am he, the one speaking to you. So in this, Jesus does not ignore the fact that this woman is living in sin, but he does not exclude her because of it. In fact, in the Gospel of John, this is the first time that Jesus reveals himself as Messiah to another person. And she isn't a Jewish person or a leader, but an outsider, a widow, an immigrant, a sinful woman. To cultivate this heart of kindness, we must understand that we have nothing to give except for what God has given us. And from John's Gospels later, he writes of this truth to the churches in his letter. In 1 John 4.19, he talks about we love because he first loved us. For those who say, I love God, but yet hate their brother or sister are liars. And do not love, and those who do not love their brother or sister cannot love God whom they have not seen. This commandment we have had from him is this, that those who love God must also love their brother and sister. So we extend love, grace, and mercy to all we come in contact with, regardless of if we think they deserve it or not. Because we did not deserve it, and yet Christ came and extended grace and mercy to us. So what is required of us to do justice, to bring equitable and restorative correction to the lives of those around us, to love mercy, extending grace to those around us because we have received mercy. And thirdly, we are to walk humbly with our God. That is, we are to be in communion with God. This idea of walking is, is an interesting imagery. It is paced it is relational, Relational. it is connected. If you've ever gone on a walk with somebody, there's just a different dynamic and presence of being with that person. This would have been also important for the Jews of the time because walking with God would have been a reminder of the time in the garden when God walked with Adam. What is interesting is that the encouragement is to walk with God, not necessarily to bow down before God, Although there is this great separation between us and God, the invitation is this sense of togetherness and communion. We are to be in the sacred communion of walking with God and alongside. When Jesus was crucified and he yelled, it is finished, with his final breath, it is said the temple curtain was torn in two. This curtain was a symbol that only the most holy, only the most righteous could enter into the presence of God. And when Christ died, that curtain was torn in two, allowing us to come into direct communion with God himself. And this thought is further echoed in Hebrews in chapter 4, when it talks about Jesus as a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. 
Let us hold fast then to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are and yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy. We are invited into this communion with God. We are invited to walk with God. And not only are we invited, but we belong there. We can enter with boldness and confidence into this relationship with God himself. Now, uh, a component to this is not just to walk with God, but to walk humbly with God. And Micah addresses some common misteachings that the, the religious leaders of the day were teaching to lead the people astray in this walk. On one end of the spectrum, we had a group that were sitting still. They weren't walking. They were just sitting in one place. In Micah chapter 2, the, the, the call out is, your teachers say, or you say to your teachers, don't preach to us of these hard things for you will disgrace us. Some of us have found this pattern of comfort and routine in our lives. And when a message of truth and conviction comes, our response is, don't make this hard for me. You're making it uncomfortable. If I try that, what if I look foolish? I will be disgraced and not look as good as I could be. But yet we are encouraged to grow and move forward, to continue our walk. But some of us are sitting still, and when the truth of God comes to us, we reject it and push it away because we want to remain seating, remain seated still. On the other end of the spectrum... There are those who are sprinting ahead. They are not walking with. In Micah chapter 3, he calls out the spiritual leaders who teach, Surely the Lord is with us, and no harm shall come to you. This idea that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, and God will not allow anything bad to ever come of it. There will be no consequences of this. In sprinting ahead, we engage in the spiritual recklessness and carelessness, assuming God's blessing of protection for the decisions we have made based on our own intellect. And oftentimes, we can get ourselves into a huge world of mess by sprinting ahead, thinking, I can do better. Um, and soon we are humbled and brought back to God. So, practical example, I know for myself, and I'm sure many of us struggle with this continuum of ebbing back and flow back and forth between sitting still and running ahead and walking humbly. Um, one that I know I've struggled with over the years is the idea of tithing. So how should I give my money and resources to God? On one hand, maybe I want to sit still. I have bills to pay. I have things to take care of. I want to sit still and be over here and not, maybe not give God my fullest. But then maybe sometimes I sprint ahead and that big shiny thing is on sale and I want to go ahead and go buy it and go take care of it. Um, For surely God will take care of everything else that I need if I go a little bit over my budget this month. Oftentimes we are constantly back and forth between the I want to sit still and remain comfortable or I want to run ahead and do my own thing. But the direction is how can I walk with God and walk humbly, understanding that We have this special sacred communion together. Again, coming back to Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman in John 4, we see this come up as well. When the woman, after Jesus had spoken to her, the woman left her water jar and went back to the city and said to the people, Come see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? 
So the crowd left and were on their way to him. And many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He has told me everything I have ever done. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them for a few days. And many more believed because of his words. And they say to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and we know that he truly is the savior of the world. So in this, Jesus walked humbly with the Samaritans. They walked alongside him. They invited him in and many came to believe because of this. So in these three things that we have been asked to do, what is required of us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? These three are are not uh, guidance or suggestion. It is required. And sometimes requirements can be hard. But there is hope in this message as well. And in light of Christmas, it is a good time for this. Um, Jesus is the Messiah who has come to us, and he gives us hope for this journey. Christ brought us justice on the cross. He gave equitable pardon for sin for all who acknowledge their need for him and restores us to God the Father. Jesus came and taught mercy, showing kindness to the outcasts and the undesirable, It was one of his biggest standouts in the Gospels was, who is this person you are associating yourself with? He showed mercy to those who were unloved at the time. And Christ brings us into communion and reconciliation with God so that we can walk with him. What is amazing is that Micah also speaks of this Messiah to come. In chapter 5, Micah shares, but from you, O Bethlehem, from you, are the one of the littlest clans of Judah. And from you shall come forth one who is to rule Israel, whose origins is from old and from ancient of days. Therefore, he shall give to them at the time when she is in labor and brought forth, the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flocks in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of his name, the Lord his God. And they shall live secure For he shall be great till the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. So in this next year, the encouragement and challenge to you is to find ways to do justice in your own life and in your communities, to love mercy mercifully, and to extend grace to those around you, and to find your pace in walking with God. And we don't have to do this alone. In the next year as a church, we will be spending time examining the life and teachings and modelings of Christ. As Craig comes back and starts us on this sermon series, uh, looking into the life of Jesus. I would encourage you to prepare your hearts for this this new sermon series and, and examine how did Jesus promote justice? How did he show mercy to others? And how did his walk uh, model what it means to be humbly in relation with God?